Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. And once again, uh, I am Laurie Dunsire, joined by Mark Donaldson. And it's not the first time in the last few weeks that we're going to avoid talking about hearts in the present day. Yeah, I've got no interest in, in talking about the Arbroath game because we've got a really good guest on this week. I like how you've changed. You've gone, welcome back. And you've also said, once again, I'm Laurie Dunsire. It's like people who end interviews with, I've been Laurie Dunsar. Well, who are you going to be now? Who knows? Just That's just, you just, just do not know, do you? I'm, I'm just going to, well, you can, you the, can do the, the intros. The other, <laughs> well, no, the, the other thing is as well, um, I thought our guest was this person, but apparently I've been pronouncing his name wrong over the years, and our guest is... Another person. So do you wish to introduce today's guest, Mr. Dunsar? Yes, uh, uh, we are delighted to be joined by Mr. John Cahoon. Well pronounced, Mr. Dunsire. Thank you very Mr. much. Mr. Donaldson, as you, you can just tell that he's lording it up in Connecticut over <laughs> there with all the bigwigs. And all the, it's all based on, on, on mispronunciation <laughs> and um, untruths. <laughs> So, so, so let just me, what let makes me, the world go around now? <laughs> let me, let me, let me clarify that I'm not getting it wrong on both counts. Is it JC or JC? It's whatever you want to be. What do you want it to be? Uh, JC doesn't bother me. That bit doesn't bother me because it's, it's, it's as unimaginative as it could possibly get. Because you couldn't possibly have called me Kahuna. So that was the oh, other. Oh, the, 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 well, well, to be fair. To be fair, you would have probably pronounced it Colhune, so it definitely wouldn't have worked. I just so, called so you the, the, the Lord of the Wings. Yeah, the, the diminutive. Diminutive was always how I was, um, I was uh, described. The diminutive winger. Um, we bit, we bit scruffy. We, we bit scruffy with the, with the tail out um, of, of the shirt, but you, you more than made up for it with the, the ability. I tell you what, you probably you and Robbo, I think, were the two that had us out of our seats in the family enclosure more than, than any other Hearts players. So thank you belatedly for that, John. Well, uh, and, and thank you for that compliment because a lot of people would, would take this being described as scruffy as, as an insult. <laughs> I actually take that as a compliment yeah. because um, I, 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 um, it kind of smacks of nonconformity, which we all like to think we are, and very <laughs> few of us actually are. Good luck with this, Dunsar. Oh, indeed, indeed. Well, we'll, we'll talk um, about, obviously, your career, John, your time with Hearts especially, a bit about what's happened since then you are just i don't want to make you i don't want to make you feel old i i do like to try and make mark feel old uh, i know but... i actually know how old i'm worried <laughs> i actually know that well done well done but, uh, you, can, you can you can you can throw it in i'm not at the point <laughs> where where i'm i'm, I'm um miscounting so much yet um although that may come um but i uh, i understand how old i'm so don't don't tread on an eggshell <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> I just miss your um, your time with Hearts. You're, uh, you left in 97 and I went to my first Hearts game in 1997. So unfortunately, you're, you're a legend around Tynecastle, but one that I did not get to see in the flesh. But um, obviously... Yeah, from, from, yeah, from, I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, myself and the, the great EC retired on the same day. 
<laughs> well, from all the Eric, stories and all the clips. Eric Cantona, Eric Cantona and John Kuhn uh, retired on exactly the same day. And w- w- would you, who would you rank above one or the other? <laughs> oh, EC's would be the best. And they had style and panache. There was no scruffiness with him. The, 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 the 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 collar up the the celebration you know, I mean you you've, 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 you've seen it yeah you've seen on the on on the Twitter the ridiculous dance I did when I scored at Celtic Park you know I mean there was none of that with Eric Cantona <laughs> do you know what I mean there was a Gallic shrug as though that's what I was supposed to do that's what I'm here to do seventy five thousand yeah that's my audience me I was just relief and delighted then. Eh? Yeah, but you scored on your debut. You scored on your first competitive Hearts game against Celtic in 1985. And I'm I not did. sure. Uh, I'm not sure. By the way, Paul McStay broke a few hearts that day with his late goal. Did he not? You were going to be the winning goal scorer on your debut against your former club. I was. Um, and it's funny because uh, we, I was on holiday with Brian McClear when, when I'd been transferred. And... Um, and uh, the fixtures came out when we were actually in Portugal together. And um, obviously, it's kind of the way football works. Everybody thinks, oh, that's amazing. But it's actually, you play somebody four times a, a year. There's a good chance <laughs> you could play each other on the first game. Eh? It's, not, it's, it's, it's not exactly the coincidence of the, the, the century. Um, so, so coming out and then, yeah, and scoring the goal. And, uh, I, as I said before, you know, I, was, um, I, I would probably have embarrassed myself um, in front of the Celtic dugout by by giving it a get it right up you um, <laughs> if Sandy if Sandy Clark hadn't have grabbed me by the neck and and <laughs> he, he put a press gang on me and told me not to be so stupid um, oh that that actually happened and he actually said that to me um, <laughs> uh, at the at the time um, and uh, yeah and then Paul scored a rocket um, in the last last couple of minutes to to deny us the win. And um, and denying me scoring the winning goal, yeah. But I, don't get me wrong, I, I was still delighted to score. Didn't you actually started that season a bit like Rudy Scatchell started 05-06, and he he scored in more consecutive games. But you got off to a flyer. The goal against Celtic, then the six-two against St Mirren, which I'm sure we'll talk about. You scored the opening goal in that as well, and you scored at, at Montrose. Could you have got off to a better start at Harps? I think you've missed an important one. I think, um, but I've been wrong about this before. You made it in the same way that you're wrong about the pronunciation of my name, uh, Mr. <laughs> Donaldson. Um, I get, I get football. Donaldson. 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 As in Donald Duck. Get it. Um, <laughs> Well, what are you, you going to try and uh, come, come back at I'm, me with? I'm going to try and say that out of those goals, I'm sure that in my first four or five games, so I scored against Celtic, and somebody will mm-hmm. pick me up if I'm wrong, this, and I think I scored at, in the derby against Hibs in you my did, second or fourth no. or fifth game at Tynecastle. It might be in the second game I played at Tynecastle, or right, the third would... game I played at Tynecastle. Well, um, these are how the games went in, in chronological order. Celtic, home, St Mirren away, Montrose League Cup away, Rangers at Ibrox League, Sterling at home League Cup, Hibs at home in the league. That made up the August fixtures and you did indeed score the opener against Hibs. So and, the first and three, you know three, 
the first three games you played, you scored in it. Celtic, St Mirren and Montrose. Competitive. I am so impressed with your 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 research here. You oh. you come on an absolute ton. A commentator, son. A commentator. <laughs> despite the fact... An absolute ton. You mean we're living in a stats-based world now and you're right up there now. You went so far up in my... Um, in my estimation there. Oh, well, um, I, was, so, I, was, so, I was at the bottom, John. So, I mean, to, to go from the ground, <laughs> there's only one way up, to be fair. So, thank there, you. Ab- absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, um, but I didn't know I'd scored in, in those other games. But we, we actually, um, we actually didn't start that season too well. No. No, that's 6-2. I mean, the, when you look back, the Celtic games killed us because they were the team yeah. that pipped us. And if, if mm-hmm. it hadn't been for McStay's late equaliser... We wouldn't have had to worry about winning it at Dundee, but that St Mirren game that screwed the goal difference as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I, was, I didn't know I scored in that, in that second game and then then Montrose yeah. game. I, um, I, I didn't I didn't know those things, but I know that the, the start of the the season was difficult for us. Um, but you I mean he put a few new players together, um, Alec, and yeah, I was talking on Twitter this week um, about how good a manager Alec was. Um, we Doddy, and uh, there was no rocket science to him. There was no no sides to him. There was no Machiavellian um, uh, proclamations in the media. Um, with Alec, you got you got what you saw, and he called a spade a fucking shovel. And um, <laughs> if you if you didn't if you didn't do um, what you could do and what he brought you in to do, um, then he'd let you know about it. And if you didn't do it two or three weeks in a row. Um, then you wouldn't play. It was as simple as that. And there was no um, great tactical genius. You know, I'd, say, I'd say that maybe Sandy was Sandy Jarvin was the more um, the more of the coach of the two. But Alec was a, a man manager supreme. Um, it was simple. Um, we played four three three. We worked our absolute bollocks off. We trained hard. We played hard. And it was a pleasure um, and a delight to to play in that team and for 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 that manager and um, for that club at the time. It was amazing, and um, it it's it still works today. It's a simple game, overcomplicated by people that have to justify um, what what they're getting paid for. In my opinion, at times, um, maybe things have moved on. Maybe I'm a dinosaur, um, but I just think that it's actually not that difficult. It was quite remarkable that season, though, when you look at it, because you joined Hearts in '85. So '85, '86 was your first season. You know, the year prior, Hearts had finished seventh. As recently as '83, they'd been in the first division, and. 85-86 would be the f- highest finish in over 20 years for Hearts. First Scottish Cup final in 10 years. And for the eight seasons after that, they were in the top five for, I think, all but one of them and had three second-place finishes. You, you've given lots of good reasons as to you know, why it was why it worked well at that point. But when you joined Hearts, did did you feel like it was uh, there was something being built that would push hearts on to the next level after having struggled obviously with relegation a couple of times and relatively poor performances for many years D- did it feel like something was happening no <laughs> I felt as though Celtic didn't want me and somebody <laughs> wanted me so I went there 
Fair enough. That's <laughs> pretty simple, you know. I mean, that was it wasn't it wasn't. You mean at that time there wasn't the the analysis of 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 transfers and, and moves. You weren't there because basically they weren't in full Bosman freedom of movement, and we had freedom of movement, um, but it was very controlled by by clubs. So kind of when when I was um, um, told that I wasn't wanted at Celtic by David Hay, and the hearts were in for me, um, uh, it wasn't like I looked out to find out what other opportunities were out there for me. It was, somebody doesn't want me, somebody wants me. Um, I'll go and speak to them because, yeah, I, I, um, I've said this before, I... I I didn't want to leave Celtic, and I I, um, I cried on the steps at, at Celtic Park when when it was made clear that I wasn't I just wasn't going to be entertained there any longer. Um, even though I'd come off a decent season um, that was supposed to be one of my development seasons, um, and then I went through to see um, Alec and Sandy, um, and it wasn't like they sold me a vision. And this is what I believe. I believe it then. I believe it now. Um, that what makes good coaches, great coaches, and good managers, great managers, is a connection with people. And I think that's true in any walk of life. Um, I think that it's to do with connection, to do with empathy. That I think the fancy business word for it now, or what's it now, is EQ. Um, and um, the game's moved on. There is a, a huge amount of data. Um, in the game, um, uh, and it's the application of that data and how it's done that uh, um, really interests me because I'm really interested in that and in, in one of the businesses I'm involved in. Um, but at that point, it was just a connection with Alec and, um, and Sandy. They never gave me a great vision of, oh, we've got to be this, we've got to challenge for the league championship, we've got to um, be in cup finals. What they said was, come to us, you'll enjoy your football. And there were two football men who, um, to be honest, um, if I'd met them in a pub, we wouldn't have had much in common, as everybody knows. You know, we were um, separate. I was young, they, were, they weren't. Um, I was a Celtic man, they weren't. Um, and I went through there, and they sold me, not on the club at the time, but they sold me on the, on the, the basis that they were two terrific human beings. They believed in me. And people believing in you is massive in life and, and certainly massive in football because in football, a lot of what you do is built on ego and built on, on your character. And and every footballer's got an ego. And the ones that, that um, say they don't are, are just liars with egos. Um, it's one of the reasons that we do it. And when somebody really wants you, um, there was no great sell of championships, cup finals. It was... Come to us, we've got a good young squad. I knew some of them. Um, I knew Blackie from, from um, the youth football days. Um, and then most of them I just knew from playing against them and, and um, uh, just just about the football scene. Um, but no, there was no, but the, what they sold was them. And I just, I, I think that a lot of that in recruitment and, and football now, that's what it is. It's a sales job. The manager's a salesman. Did you. Did you feel that you had a point to prove or anything along, along those lines after, obviously, Celtic, you, you said, didn't want you any longer? Did did that spur you on at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, not to, not I to, I to, You prove it to yourself 
but yeah, of course you do because because nobody likes rejection and 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 footballers hate rejection and and because it's so public. The, the problem with with football and, and professional sport and and um, uh, performing in any way is so public and and it's it's got so much invested in it by by Scottish people um, that it's it's you can't get away from it. So the summer that I left Celtic, everybody knew. So I'm in the official centre in Stirling, people saying, talk to you about it, you know, why did you leave, blah, blah, blah. You mean, I can't believe it. Or, yeah, good. Um, you weren't good enough for Celtic. I think that was some of the players that I met that day. Um, but the, it's so public. So, and it's like having a bad performance and you get taken off. You mean, subs getting subbed. It's the public humiliation of it that hurts your ego and you keep coming back to it. And so, yeah, of course I did. I wanted to prove that I could play at that level. I wanted to pl- prove I could play um, in the Scottish Premier League. I wanted to prove I could play at the top of the Scottish Premier League. Um, so so I only did I did what, um, what my mum and dad taught me to do, which was to work hard. Work hard. And that's what I did. Worked hard and, and tried to um, yeah, make it go along with the ability that I had. Um in an environment that I enjoy. Again, that's that's absolutely key to it. I enjoy that. I love that. I love the hard work. I love the trainer hard with George McNeil and Bert Logan on a Tuesday round the track or at Softon and then up in, in Brown's gym and getting absolutely battered in the gym. But we were the fittest team in the league. We were we were pressing. Whatever they call it now, we were doing that in 1985-86. We were pressing high up because we knew that if we got the ball up um, high up, then then we were a threat. And that's the way Alec played. We hunted in packs. We worked on hunting in packs. We didn't work on four two three ones, four three uh, four three one ones. We didn't work on any of that. It was just straight four three three and hunted in packs. When somebody made a, a miscontrol or or made a um, the, the ball got rolled out to the fullback, um, it was my job to trigger it and go after the fullback. If he's taking a bad touch, and then people would come in behind me. If they didn't come in behind me, um, and they passed it through me, and I was out the game, and maybe Kai was out the game as well, then the manager come after whoever it was that, that, that hadn't closed in and behind. It was pretty, I keep coming back. It was pretty simple. Eh? It wasn't. It wasn't. But there was. But there was demand. There was urgency. There was a joie de vivre to it. Um, not that we didn't care, but it just it was attacking. It was fun. The most fun it's like fear's taken over, John. And that, it's like it's like fear at times is is taken over, and it's a kind of people seem to be more reactive than proactive, and it's like, oh well, if we do that, what might happen? As opposed to let them worry about us, because there was a swashbuckling nature. Eighty five, eighty six was my first season, and I want to get on to to October eighty five because this was a run that started in a one all draw at home to Dundee. You'd lost at Kilbowie. Um, on the Saturday previously. Perfect. Then you went on this ridiculous run. Um, I didn't go to my first game until the St Mirren game, which was a 3-0 victory at, uh, at Tynecastle. But you'd already drawn with Dundee and beaten Celtic away at Celtic Park. Uh, Robbo scored. So what happened during that run? Why did things change? Was it because you were fitter or what was it? Um, I, again, it's... Un, it, it's it's difficult to, to say, Mark. You know, we there was a confidence in fitness. 
There's no question about that with Alex teams. And he he did it again at Airdrie. There's a confidence of fitness, and he's he he saw that, and then then he brought players in that believed in in him and were beholden to him. So we wanted to 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 do our best for him and to best for the club, and we also um, had a feeling there was a kind of great balance to it because there were a lot of young young boys that were kind of and and refugees from other clubs that had been rejected, like uh, Blackie, like Chuck, Fozzie. Um, big Roger Whitaker, um, and then you had the other ones who were obviously on their way up. Like you, you had Craig and you had Gary Robbo, um, who, who were kind of there. Um, but it wasn't like a, a, a switch got flicked, and we were, oh, let's all oh, be a good team. It just kind of happened that we started believing ourselves, but the fitness was an, uh, definitely a, a factor in it, Mark, and and the. The fact that Alec never asked you to do anything that you couldn't do, um, and and you just have you had your jobs. Eh? Simple. I mean, if I didn't cross the ball in, I'd fail. If Sandy Clark didn't get the end of the crosses, he'd failed. If Robbo didn't get the end of Sandy's knockdowns, he failed. If Kai didn't create something, if Blackie didn't go nail a couple of people and do his little pirouette and and give us balance on the left hand side, he failed. Chuck hadn't closed people down, won it, given it to uh, to Kai or, or myself or Robbo. Um, he hadn't done his job and, and um, Alex's face would get redder and redder as half-time <laughs> or, 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 or um, full-time um, came closer. And you could feel it on the pitch. You could feel his eyes burning at the back of your, back of your neck. You know, if what a kid didn't kick somebody, nail somebody, especially if they just kicked me, what he had failed. You know, if, if if Craig and Sandy haven't strolled about like a couple of Rolls Royces, young and old, um, and if Henry hadn't um, nearly tried to take the ball out of the box with his hands every day and then made a <laughs> nobody else in the league could have made um, all in the same minute, um, he'd failed. And it was, but it was, it was like that, and it was, but it was fun. Eh? Mm. That's so, what I think. That's what I think is, is different. And I think the higher because I've represented players. Um, at the very top level of football, top of world football. And I think, regardless of what anybody tells me, that the higher up you go, the less fun it becomes. Eh? Breaking the ball, falls kindly for Alan Johnston. Going outside McLaughlin. Cummins John Cahoon again, he can win the game here. He has, perhaps, that's a great finish by Cahoon. And Petopi is stunned. John Cahoon, scarcely a time to break sweat. He's made one, now he's scored one. And this was terrific play once again. In behind Brian Irvin. Waited there, bided his time and found the gap in the corner. Third of May, nineteen eighty-six. We, you know, we all know what transpired. But from your perspective, what, what, what do you remember? What sticks out from your point of view as one of the players who were, who were out there that day? Um, the unfortunate day, obviously, at Dens Park. Yeah, I can. I can remember we went to the, the what's now the Landmark Hotel for a pre-match, um, and 
Um, we were in good spirits. We 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 there was nothing different. Um, there's nothing different than Alex team talk. Uh, we knew what we had to do. We knew it was in our hands, and but we also knew that that um, the other game was unlikely to go in our favour. So it was in our our own hands, and we had to do it. And we knew that. And and uh, yeah, I'm comfortable. I'm, I accept that. Regardless of what went what, what went on in the other game, it was an irrelevance because we had it in our own hands. Um, the game was. Um, Tense and could have gone either way. We we missed a couple of chances. Um, we had a penalty claim mm-hmm. that 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 we should have got um, another another game. I think we would have got it. Um, and Bill Crombie like, the jamble. Bill Crombie, and I think that that was that might have been an issue for him. That may be an issue for him. Yep. I was, and, and and I don't I don't mind saying that. Um, that when he got employed by the club many years later, um, it didn't sit particularly well with me. Um, but um, but that was just me being bitter. Um, and then when they scored, they scored the first one. There was a kind of roar went up that that, that Dundee could have qualified for Europe. I'm sure. And there was a roar went up because something they thought something had happened at, at, at Ibrox. This is this is my um, I haven't spoken about it in detail like this because it's it's um, it's so it's still painful. It's still still um, it still scars me a little bit. You know, people think that that players don't get affected with it, but I can tell you just about every player in that pitch um, is still affected by it and and was deeply affected. At, by it, which which I I think transpired in us not getting over the line in, in, in other on other occasions it, it scarred us. And then when the first one goes in, because uh, we knew at half time, Alec had told us half time another game was gone, it was gone. We've got to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we knew. And then when the first goal went in, it was like fuck. And I'm sorry for swearing on it. It was like that, and you knew there was no way back then. It wasn't like it was like all our efforts, all our season's efforts, all our um, all our overachievement because that's what it was. It was our overachievement on a massive scale that season, and um, you because it it wasn't we were trying to beat Rangers or Celtic. Dundee United's team at that point had been prolific in Europe. I mean, they were. I mean, David Neri was a fantastic footballer, unbelievable footballer. Hege, Malpass, Sturrock, Ralph Milne. Um, I mean, really good players. Aberdeen, packed with players, packed with players that, that had won the European Cup winners' cup against Real Madrid. I mean, there were good players all over the place then. Eh? It was like it wasn't just like we knew we beat if we beat Celtic this year we win the league. It was like Rangers are there, and they still are good players. They weren't having a good time, but they still are good players. But Dundee United were a good side. Aberdeen were a good side. Really. Eric Black, Billy Starr, Willie Miller, McLeish, Leighton, Stuart McKim. You mean they're good players? You mean and it wasn't just. You mean so we'd, we'd overachieved massively, and it was like in that minute the balloon popped, and it was like 
the only way to describe it. And then the dressing room. The dressing rooms, it's, it's hard to describe without without being really emotional about it because we went through a lot with everybody in there. Huh? And I like shut the door and there was nothing said. And dressing rooms, dressing rooms after you've been beat are, are, are lonely places. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really tough to describe just an ordinary dressing room when you've lost a big game. When you've lost that one and you're, you're trying to go off the pitch and people are on the pitch and, and we're walking up that um, that uh, concrete gangway that they had at Dens Park and 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 the the the, the, fa- the fans are um, are hanging over that metal fence crying and we've seen this and we, and at that time we know and there's no way to dress up we we've caused that because eh? we gave them so much hope and, and, and now through the the, the the glass of time. They can say, yeah, but it gave us a lot of joy as well. But in that moment, there was no joy in it for any of us. We couldn't enjoy what we'd done. We couldn't enjoy um, beating Aberdeen, beating Celtic, um, going up to Dundee United and giving them a, a chase and a really good Dundee United to 3-0 um, when we were getting really close and the pressure. And people ask if it was just pressure. And pressure's a factor. There's no question. But I think if we had really bottled it, if we bought it to an extent, probably, but if we'd been going to bottle it, I think we'd have bottled it four or five weeks before that. Um, but but trying to get over lines tougher, no doubt. The, the, Cl- the Clyde Bank game, John, the, the Clyde Bank game at home, there was a couple Kai of games around up. that time. Kai, Kai, Kai scored on one day. He did, he did. But it was one of these games whereby people were thinking, oh, they could really boost their goal difference here. And and it ended up just, just 1-0. And then... Aberdeen was a Sunday. It was live on STV. It was a rare Sunday live game, and they scored first. I think Brian Gunn was in goal, and then Hearts equalised. And even then, I mean, the the Dundee United game at Tannadice at the start of April when Hearts won three nil. If you were going to bottle it, surely you would have done it on Tayside that day. But there just seemed to be this momentum that was building, didn't there? You just couldn't get over the absolutely. line. Absolutely, absolutely. And and it was and it was, but it was a hard ask, yeah. It was a hard ask. You I mean going to these places was was difficult, and we'd never been over the course. You I mean Sandy Jarden had been over the course and won things, but there was very few players in that team that had won things, and 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 to win things, it's a lot easier when you've already won them, when you know what what it's like to carry the carry the pressure. You I mean it's like um, you you watch these golfers trying to go over the line um, in majors. And in big competitions, and it's tough, eh? Tough for them. Yeah, but there's also there's also no scars. That's an interesting thing. It's a psychological thing as well. People can talk about the innocence of youth and and those who've not failed before. So there's that kind of well, we we don't know what failure feels like, but there's also that kind of pressure, that unseen pressure. Did you guys feel that pressure going oh, into no that question. game against Dundee? No question. We'd felt it for weeks. We'd felt it for weeks. Weeks and weeks and weeks was felt it. And you feel you could feel the tension in, in, in building, mm-hmm. and you knew that you were ninety minutes away from something that probably, probably we would never achieve in our life again. Because it was obvious we'd overachieve. Because you mean the, the start of that season, you talk about when 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 I went there and people said, "Did I like not sell your dream of 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 winning the leagues?" When that that season, when when the, all the pundits, um, who are obviously who were obviously just as as um, knowledgeable then as they are now, um, 
were picking the team to win the league and, and to get relegated. Nobody picked us to win the league, but I'll tell you, five or six of them picked us to get relegated. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, we're 90 minutes away from winning winning in the championship with with basically a team of of decent players eh? and Sandy and Craig. Well, I think it shows because, I mean, 1960, Hearts was the last time Hearts won the league. So in the last over 60 years now, that's, you know, by far the closest, you know, I mean, seven minutes from from winning the league title. I wonder, I mean, obviously it was in in Hearts' hands, so obviously there's going to be a degree of feeling, you know, you blew it, you threw it away. We did have, we did have Scott Wilson on recently, who, um, obviously the announcer at Tynecastle now, who still harbours, should we say, a fair few grudges about what happened in the other game, um, having apparently spoken to a few of the players who were involved in that game as well. Is that something that, was hard to take for players as well. What went down in the other match? I know what happened. Is it? I know what happened, but it's an irrelevant. It was in our own hands. What they did didn't matter. If we'd done our job and got a draw, mm-hmm. and I've always said that, I think the worst thing that happened was that we needed a draw. I think if we needed to win, yeah, the mentality would have been completely different, and we would have probably won. That's just my opinion. But needing a draw, you start the game, you've won the league. So therefore, your psychology is, okay, let's not lose anything, rather than let's go win something. And and uh, even at the time we'd spoken about it, it would have been easier if we'd, been, we'd, we'd had to win that game because that was the natural way that we played. And, and it wasn't natural. It wasn't natural to for us to hang on to something. Yeah. Which is what we, what you, you psychology you can't help it and and I and I always talk about this when people say about about the the Derby run that we had when when we didn't lose to Hibs for so many games. Hibs battered us a lot. But eventually in the game they started to retreat into into a sheltered defence. So they went one 0 up. Rather than them go gung ho and try and get the second one which would put it out of our reach psychologically they would start saying oh, right let's defend this because they always come and do us later on so we'll defend this and it's not coming from the sidelines it's not coming from the managers or the coaches in the Hibs dugout and it didn't come from Alec and Sandy and Walter Borthwick in their dugout but that's just a natural consequence of only needing a draw but the other game didn't bother me because what was happening what was happening in another game was going to happen that was going to happen. There's no, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind about that, and there's nothing, nothing um, that that um, anybody's ever told me about it since that hasn't confirmed what what we knew was going to happen. Yeah, Just I get that. I get but that. That's a, but again, it's an irrelevance because it was in our own hands. Now, if it had been different and and it was like we were both exactly the same, then it would have been a factor. But it wasn't a factor because it was in our hands. John, I remember going through to Hamden the following week, 10th of, of May, 1986, with my mum and dad. I was young at the time. I was in the enclosure. But even even then, I know it was my first season, and I, I was delighted that you'd come so close. I don't think it hit me, and I don't think I understood at that age how distraught everyone else was. But even then, I kind of thought, 
we're not going to win this final against Aberdeen. Is that what the players thought as well? Did, did the game before at Dens just take everything out of you? Yeah. He kept he, he kidding yourself on. We kidded ourselves on. That we so were the fans, to, yeah. We, we kidded ourselves on that we were going to win it. But deep down, as a sportsman going to a cup final, you never want to believe that you can't win it. But there was so much taken out of us, eh? like energy, both psychological energy and physical energy. It was a man, and 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 it would probably have been the same if we'd won the league. I was going to ask you about that because I don't think Hearts would have won it either way. Because I you'd agree. either still you'd still be drunk or you'd still feel you know, <laughs> everything out of that league campaign. That I'm not sure how much less you would have had left in the tank for that final we against a, a good Aberdeen. We didn't have a lot anyway. No, against a good Aberdeen side, board. by the way. Good Aberdeen side. You know I mean, I get you mean against a good Aberdeen, Aberdeen side and not a bad Aberdeen manager. He was okay. He was okay. <laughs> The best the world's ever produced, in my opinion. Built five teams at Man United. Dummy, so it was going to be difficult anyway. Um, and they were comfortable at Hamden. Um, and we were drained. We were drained. Then, mm. I mean, the game just the game just got away from us. It was a good what? season overall, though. Eighty-five, eighty-six for yeah. you yeah. personally. Eleven goals. You got fourteen the next season. You got sixteen the season after that. It was. In terms of you as a player, was that your sort of your golden period as a player? Would you say that kind of first three or four years at Hearts? Um, probably, yeah, probably. I couldn't disagree with that. Not probably first um, from from eighty five to eighty nine, ninety. Yeah, probably my housing housing days. It was a beautiful time. Um. The crowds were with us, you mean, and that's one thing that even amazes you when you watch these videos back is the crowd. Um, and there was a, there was a, a, a togetherness between everybody. And I speak about this all the time, I bore everybody speaking about this, and so I, I try not to do as many. That's what I said when you asked me to do this, I said, well, people who bored them are shite up um, now. It's the same things I say all the time, but it's the same things because that's what it was, eh? That's 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 how I remember it, and and those times were amazing, and and we fed off of the supporters, supporters fed off us, we were them, they were us. I mean, those are all cliches, um, but the, the but at that point it was true, it was true. We were we were the same as them, and the fans, um, and we enjoyed playing for them. There was there was there was there was a different feeling. In society, not just football. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get that. No, nostalgia, John, is, is something that's, I mean, things are that old, they're new again. That, that's the way the world is. The sheep all follow and we eventually end up back where we, we kind of started. So what I like about this whole process of, of you suddenly appearing, I mean, I've, I've had your number for many years and I appreciate you doing this for us. Um but you've now appeared on social media. You've done some wonderful things um, with Tiny Changes, a wonderful charity that, that's helping people who, who need it most, uh, that's yeah. close to the heart of many heart supporters. But on a broader picture, John, I love the fact there's still this little young, and I know you're 
you're not the age that we all kind of remember you playing at Hearts. But there's this, there's an element of naive, glorious naivety about this, and that you're like, why do people want to listen to me again? We love listening to you. You're who we grew up with, and and this whole nostalgia thing. I've listened to pretty much all the interviews you've done with Graham Spears and, and the other podcasts, and I would listen to to a hundred more because the stuff that you're saying resonates with so many of us. And it's it's kind of a part of where we are in society right now, John, in that no one can really get out the house. We're all kind of stuck. We're looking for something um, from, from a better time. It's like Irvin Welsh produced or helped produce that film that was on Sky over the weekend about um, the, the Creation Records uh, guy, Alan yeah. McGee. It takes us back to a, a time that we remember more fondly. And that's why we love listening to you and other people from the 80s we have on our podcast. I just wanted to say that. Jordan to Levine. Again, looking for Clark. There's John Cahoon. 13 minutes gone. Clark's going front. And what a marvellous volley. On the way here at Tyne Castle, and they certainly aren't letting him down at the moment. And there's the opening goal from John Cahoon. Absolutely brilliant. Six minutes from half-time. John Cahoon with his tenth goal of the season. Sets time Castle alight. I mean, going back to your your playing days, I don't want to spend all the time we're talking about your playing days talking about a, a very sore afternoon obviously that one at Dens but you also had many many great days with Hearts I mean in that first spell with the club are there any what are your kind of favourite memories you know you scored in European football for Hearts I think it was in the second spell you you were featured in that big game against Bayern Munich there was some big games some big goals you mentioned against Hibs you got a hat-trick at Love Street against St Mirren what kind of stands out from that first period from you from your point of view European games the European games were were, were just so special and um, you mean that obviously Bayern Munich Atletico Madrid but even just going and, and you mean going and playing in Mostar or Vienna? Um, you mean didn't see much of the cities, but it's glamorous, no? Eh? It was glamorous, and, and we we didn't know anything about these clubs at the time. You mean you mean we? I, I can almost tell you, that, and I thought I was quite um, quite educated and, and learned, and, and well read at the time. I'd never heard the Mostar, never. I mean, they haven't played, and then we, had, we all heard about it two or three years later when it was in the in the in the Civil War there. Um, but it was it was a exciting time. And those games and the way we played, because, you mean, the, 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 you mean it's, it's, it, and it's, this is the way I always describe it. I don't think I've said this before. There's, there's, my analogy is this, because we come come away and, and my friends and my mates would go to the, the most of them play football or, or rest football. And they come and watch the game and, and You'd be driving home in the car, maybe they'd, they'd, they'd pick me up and take us take me home. We'd drive and say, oh, wee man, that, what a great game that was playing. It must have been amazing to play in that game. And some of them, you mean, because, um, and some of them that, that hadn't played them, oh, my, I can't even imagine playing that. must have been the best feeling in the world, scoring that goal or making that pass, that cross. But the reality is, when you're playing in it, you actually don't have the time to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That, that's what... 
that's not, that's not to be um, not to say that you, after the game when you win the euphoria the relief is amazing you're in that dressing room and you're jumping about and you're singing you mean and you don't just beat breaking City <laughs> but when you, you, you but when you beat Atletico Madrid and you're beating Bayern Munich or or, or you're, you're you're on the bus on the way back to the airport and having beat Austria Vienna and knowing you got through the next round of the of the of the UEFA Cup as it was it's amazing. But at the time during the games, you're concentrating on what you're doing. You're not you're not you can't take the deep breath of Vim Hof and take the deep breath and enjoy it and look about your surroundings. Why? Because there's 25,000 fans in there and the game's going 100 miles an hour, you don't enjoy it. My best analogy is this. It's is, is the difference between being a parent and a grandparent, of which I've been both now. When you're a parent, you're so involved in it that it kind of all goes by in a flash. But when you're a grandparent, you're sitting in the stand watching it, mm-hmm. you can enjoy it. You can enjoy the children far more than when you're actually having to do everything, because everything goes away in such a flash. The games go by in a flash. You know, being a parent goes by in a flash, but being a but being a grandparent or a spectator, you can sit there and enjoy it. You can enjoy the spectacle. You can enjoy you can enjoy the the, the release of of happiness and the smiles, and and be able to deal with the. The, the, the times when they fall and they skin their knees and it's the same you've struggled to deal with the defeats and you didn't enjoy the wins enough but John as, nature, as, eh? yeah I, I, being a fan of a football club can be brilliant and I think being a fan of a team like Hearts where success doesn't happen very often you appreciate it more I mean, we would all want to pull on the maroon white jersey you would have wanted to pull on the Celtic jersey you got the opportunity to do so um, but where you've never been able to to be in the in, in the position of a fan, you've never been able to celebrate your own goal from a supporter's perspective because you you're out there scoring it, and the, the the kind of joy that it gives to to supporters. Of course, we would love to to swap places with you, but did you ever think to yourself, I wonder what it would be like on a European night or whatever, um, with either you or Robbo or Sandy or whoever scoring a goal? And then you just took a look at your surroundings and thought, yeah, I wouldn't mind being in there as well. In the last six months, I've done that. Really? In the last six months. Well, I would say the last six months, maybe the last year, is the only time I've really appreciated that, Mark. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of the goals and I've seen some of the celebrations at the end and, and seen some of the, and, and there is no other word to describe this, some of the love that's, that this that's sent my way on on Twitter, and I, and I still don't know. I can't remember how I ended up there, but I did. Um, <laughs> um, and and it's been very nice to me. Um, and it's only in the last six months, year, maybe 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 a little bit longer than that, that I've been able to appreciate my career and what I did, because I don't know. I don't know why. I, I can't answer the answer. I can't. I can't answer why that is but but before I've never I would say over the last year, two years maybe I, I, I would hardly have seen a goal of mine that had scored in my career hardly ever really? wow. hardly ever so the all, all Amaruso lets it run um, Twitter account and various others 
that that must be something special for you. It's like reliving some great yes. moments of your life. Yes, but I would never go looking for them. Like when, when no, no, of when course. Amaruso lets it on, which I think he does an amazing job when he when he when he he does that and and he puts up the goals in the kind of different years. I watch it now, whereas before I wouldn't have watched it. But I won't go and watch the whole game. Eh? No, I wouldn't go no, and watch just, the whole game. Just the chance against Bayern was, was enough. Um, which I know you spoke about that with with Graham Spears, and we could have had Maradona at Tynecastle, but. The, the, the whole question regarding the fans and, and you swapping places was something you mentioned about the European trips. We were very fortunate when we played Shiroki Brieg and that we stayed in Mostar and we were able to explore a beautiful city with the, the bridge that was bombed and the history. When we went to Sarajevo, the fans and, and everyone associated with the club who wasn't playing were able to explore where Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated to start World War One. And that's something that I'm sure, although you love playing in Europe and especially the away games, would you not have loved to have, if you had a bit more time, to have seen the cities and experienced what the fans experienced in these wonderful places? Uh, No, because I like the view I had. (laughs) I preferred the view I had. You know what I mean? Going out there. You mean again? It's hard to describe the anticipation of. You mean you mean the the anticipation of a of of getting on a coach to drive to cup semi final at Hamden is beyond human description for me. And when you see you're driving up there and your fans are on either side, and you can see the hope and the and the joy in their faces and and there's nothing dashed by that thing it, it mm. is all hope and it is all joy and they are in in some ways really grateful for for getting them there to enjoy this day so far whether however it panned out after that is is, is a different story but those big games the anticipation before you there's so many dashed hopes. Those first few semi-finals, finals, big games, European games, those those journeys, and not not um, philosophical journeys. Those actual journeys are amazing eh? for a player. Amazing because at that time they weren't they weren't um, sterilised there now. Eh? No, because then no. it was like then it was like the players were still touchable. You know, we'd get off and the, and the crash barriers would be, people could just still touch us, eh? Well, mm-hmm. now you go so the, the area, I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm talking pre-COVID, um, so homogenised, nobody gets anywhere near anyone. You mean they're shouting from a distance, whereas we could hear ours and other fans um, shouting in our faces, eh? And it kind of all added up to 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 the joy um, and the and the pleasure that that brought. A quick follow-up to the my final question here. I know we're running short of time. My quick follow-up. Uh, we all have different views um, of of goals, of, of of the action. No one sits. Only one person can sit in one seat to see goals, and we all have our own memories. What's your memory? We do a quiz every week on around the funnel, and I want to ask you a question. One one quiz question. What's your memory of being in the Wiener Stadion in Vienna? 
having come on as a sub for Wayne Foster after 10 minutes. With Embarrassment ball... for a start if I'm coming on for Posey. Ah, well, well, I'll let you explain that. But when the ball is played through and Walter Kidd finds Mike Galloway, what is your viewpoint? Where were you watching that from on the pitch? And how far offside was Walter Kidd? Was he A, 10 yards, B, 20 yards, or C, 30 yards offside? Listen, read the next day's newspaper. It was onside. <laughs> it was onside. Listen, these journals never get it wrong. It was onside. <laughs> Listen, you knew he had to be offside. What? He never had the pace to get away from anybody. So for him to be three yards clear, <laughs> he can be guaranteed he was three yards offside. <laughs> Yeah, I so so yeah, I was I was kind of right behind Mike, I think, in, in my um in my hazy uh, um um recollection of that. Uh, but Mike was one Mike had one of those um those runs in that cup where he, everything he touched mm. he touched um um turned to gold. And now everything he touches turns to God. <laughs> um <laughs> you obviously you had uh, a brilliant time as, as a Hearts player, you know, 424 appearances in total, 82 goals, putting the top 20 actually for all-time Hearts scorers. You're sitting in number 19. I was going to ask you as well, do you think it's something that Hearts have really missed for a long time? Because in terms of scorers, uh, the only person to to get anywhere near your 82 since then, well, the closest has been Colin Cameron, 59 in 2001. Jamie Walker has now reached 51, but apart from that, no one else has, has reached 50, although Scatchell had a very good goals-to-game ratio. Only you and John Robertson are in that top 20 who have played since 1981. I mean, is that something that's been missing from Hearts? Is you know just players like yourself? And obviously you weren't an out-and-out striker for most of the time when you were playing at Hearts, but they've really lacked goal scorers apart from a, a couple of you. It's really interesting that, um, Laurie, because, and I didn't know any of that, um, and and it surprised me, um, those statistics, but the game has changed. Now, if if probably if I was to do what I did, then now somebody would come and try and pay a million quid for me and take me down south earlier so I wouldn't be able to get to the to get to the 82 goals, if if you like. Someday, you mean that I would run my contract down and and leave or, or force a move. The game's changed. Eh? And also, you mean, it just has. You mean, I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I'm a paragon of virtue and yeah, I would love to say that, yeah, I, I would definitely have done the six years then gone away and then come back. And, and, and the only reason I went away was because Joe Jordan didn't want me and, and the club wanted to raise money, which was, again, both fair I hadn't made any money up to that point, so I left and, and went to Millwall and to replace Teddy Sheringham. And yep, how did that work out for you, Lions? Not very well. <laughs> and um, and then I went to Sunderland and then I came back. And um, so it was it was different times. And and do the measure goals are the hardest thing in the world to 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 get. Um, and we were in a you talked about comfort zones earlier, Mark. We were in a comfort zone. We knew how to play at Hearts. Eh? We fed off the fans. Fans fed off us. We knew that um, that uh, we played in a certain way, and we would have limited success. 
um, we knew that we fitted into the fabric of that team and the fabric of that football club. Um, so, so for them, they kept us away um, and, and the way the contracts were set up then and, and the way the mentality was, was difficult. Whereas now it's completely different and it will be difficult. And if anybody comes in and scores, if, if anybody comes in and scores 20 goals for Hearts in one season, he'll be gone. It's interesting That's you say reality. that, John, actually, in terms of what you were saying before about the change in the change in nature of the game, because of the type of player you were, obviously a bit of a free spirit maybe on and off the park in many ways, but you know, predominantly a winger who people remember taking players on, going round them, being very direct and attacking. Mark and I were actually chatting to a, a, a former Hearts player earlier this week, but a player who's played in the last 10 years. We were talking about, you know, me... I don't want to say negativity, but maybe the reluctance in the current Hearts team and in recent years to maybe do that type of thing. And this particular player we were talking to said, one winger who was quite popular at times for Hearts, and he played for Hearts in the last decade, was specifically told by the manager at the time, don't run with the ball and lose it. And he said he got in trouble every time. If he ran at players and lost possession, the manager was fuming about it because he wanted to keep possession. And keeping possession was... I suppose what we were the impression we were getting, keeping possession was more important than trying to take a player on. Even if maybe one out one out of the three attempts you try and go past him, you'll go round him and you maybe make a chance. So, is that part of how it's changed? That it was simpler back in your day, that you were given a bit of freedom to take players on. It wasn't so focused on analysing the possession, the pass completion, the dribble completion. It was. Yeah, I think it's what I did. I think I speak this. Uh, this is my story. Um, one or, or one of the other ones that did maybe Spears. Um, was that even I, I run um, the coaching. I run the Heart Soccer Academy, not the elite one, but the the um, box the over. other one. The, yeah, the box, but it's Heart Soccer Academy, and and we had a big um, epiphany um, not long ago, a year ago, because. We weren't encouraging our coaches to encourage the players to take enough risks, and so we we had a couple of big meetings about it and and um, big edicts about it, uh, and and what what we want at the top of it is is for it to go down the way, and this has nothing to do with with Roger Arnott and the Hearts soccer can, and um, uh, for the first team, is at box soccer at the, uh, the 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 academy sessions that we run, is to encourage the players to take a risk. And that's what we were encouraged to do at that time. Alex Smith, great coach, great man. The older players that I, 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 um, that I came through with, they all encouraged you to take risks. Mm-hmm. They never criticised you. You I mean I, I, when I went to Celtic? You know, it's Frank Collin and David Hay, and and all they said to me was, "Listen, all we want you to do is." I was never a winger, so I went to Celtic, and all I want you to do is get past the fullback, cross the ball. There'll be somebody there to head in. If they're not, we'll be after them. And when I came to Hearts, that's all I was asked to do: get those balls in the box. Sandy Clark will win, win uh, more than than he'll lose, and they absolutely did. Eh? Terrified people, Sandy, and so it didn't have to, even have to be that great across. If you got to the byline, you got to cut it back, which is even this day and age is a really effective um, way to score goals. <laughs> you, you, no, no, as it's um, either Chance Robbo would be there, or Kai would come in late, and and Blackie would be the back post. But I agree with that. Keep the ball. You keep the ball. Why? You've got to want to do something with it. So take the risks. Now, if you take the risk, you shouldn't be criticised. 
And that I like I like to say that like, you take on the fullback on ten times. I don't care. Because the eleventh time you make your pass the fullback and get the ball in and we'll score, we'll win the game. But the thing is, if you the way it has changed is that now you take the risk, you lose the ball, you better get that ball back, yeah? You better be part of the unit that gets that ball back. Whereas, I'll be honest, kind of wasn't really my gig, eh? <laughs> they never, they, it really wasn't. You mean it was was it was like it wasn't like a like you you see Andy Robertson doing it for Liverpool. He loses the ball and he's hundred mile an hour trying to get his, the ball back. Uh, not so much me, but nowadays and when we are doing our coaching, that's what we say: take the risk. But if you lose the ball, you're part of the unit. You're part of it's your, your responsibility to help get that ball back. So you won't be criticised for taking the risk. But you will be criticised if you don't help your team teammates to get that ball back. And I think that that's the kind of key on it. And, and I would have really struggled with that. I would have struggled if somebody had been saying to me, I don't want you to take something down, I just want you to keep the ball. Because that's what I did in 97. Eh? One final question from me, John. You mentioned 10, 15 minutes ago about how football has changed, but you think it's going to change again over the next five or so years. In what way? Um, I think people will take their their their, um, their, their uh, content in a completely different way. I just don't see I don't see how um, the next generation will sit and watch ninety minutes of of um, Hamilton against the Mum. I don't see how they watch ninety minutes or not. The last generation have watched that. Bournemouth, <laughs> Bournemouth. I just don't I don't I don't I, I absolutely don't see it. And I, and even at that, I don't see them sitting and watching. 90 minutes of Hearts against Hibs. I think it'll be a smaller and smaller audience. I think they want to come in and watch highlights. I think they want to watch two, four, five minutes maximum. Um, I'm not sure that the, the, the next generation will want to watch um, people talking about the game for 25 minutes before it and 25 minutes after it. I just don't see that. I think it's going to have to be more in your face. I think it's going to have to be, you mean, the only ones that they'll be interested in are, are, are shock jocks. Um, because that's what they react to. That's what gets um, them talking on the social media channels. And <clears throat> like at Lowe, that, and as I said earlier on, it's been okay for me. But like at Lowe, that it's here to stay. And and how we get how we get a football is going to be different. I think there'll be a, I think there will be a different um, a, a different football landscape. I think the big clubs will get bigger. I think meritocracy will go out of the game um, to some degree. Um, and and I think that um, that we'll we'll have to look for the younger generation um, to keep the game going in its present form. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure what that is. And that, I know that's kind of going against the grain of what you actually do, um, Mark. And and um, but I, 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 that's just how I see it. I just think it will change. No. Yeah. We, we've got to move with the times, and I, and I, I get that. I mean, o- over here. I don't think we're going to be ESPN much longer as part of a cable package of which every single subscriber, of which there are hundreds of millions in this country, pays $9 a month. It's going to be an over-the-air um, subscription. It won't be part of cable. And I think we're, we're getting to the stage where it's on-demand viewing. You, you buy what you want to watch. You don't buy a bundle with Sky or, or cable over here and you get all these things that you never watch. You're literally paying for for what you're watching. And if it does go that way, John, which I think you're right, I think it will, is that something that you could see, not yourself reinvented, 
but you could be a part of in the next stage of, of your life? Or is, is, is that gone? It's probably, it's probably a young man's game. It's probably a young man's game in terms of um, of driving that because because young young people understand the um, the platforms and they understand where it's going. Um, I'm fascinated by I'm fascinated by the whole blockchain, um, NFTs, uh, Bitcoin. I'm a, uh, I'm fascinated by all of that stuff. I think that that's where it goes. I think I think it goes there in, in, in a big way, and, and I think it goes there quicker than people believe. Um, but how and how that? You mean, can you imagine anybody thinking that that people would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for for a, a digital collectible of Patrick Mahomes. Exactly, exactly. Hundreds of thousands. And, and people say, oh, that'll never last. Well, why not? It's the, same, it's the same argument I had about esports with somebody 10 years ago. I said, well, nobody's going to go in and sit in a stadium and watch esports. And they went, I said, oh, you're just watching people playing on the telly. He goes, well, what's the NFL? The NFL, you're not, you're not contributing. You're just going to sit and watching something that's in real time but this is also in real time for us, and we're 23, 24, 25. And then you look at the crowds that they get. Um, you mean that again? That's going to be going to be an interesting um, arena to be in, and as esports, it will get bigger and bigger. Um, if I was if I was a big investor, um, and I had the the the, um, the, the funds um, to do it, I would go and buy. Or try and buy uh, the Scottish Women's Professional Football League um, because I think there's huge potential in that. I think it's um, it's going to be a lot bigger than 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 people think. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw today that the English FA had done a big deal uh, yep. for the Women's Professional Football League there, and I think that that will be that will be big going forward. I think it's um, I think the whole thing's changing. I think people will be more accepting um, that there's quality there. Um, and and as it develops, um, it's something that um, that will have a great value to it. Uh, so I think I think the future's really interesting for sport. I'm fascinated. I'm still fascinated. But I got out of football early enough that I still love it so much. It's so amazing. It's been so good to me. But I got out of it well. I still love it well. I still have a passion for it. And I, I, I need to be honest and say, lockdown hasn't been kind to to it um, because. I kind of it kind of struggles to hold my my attention a lot of the games where I would normally tune in just to see what was happening and then if the game was decent I'd stay there I just mm-hmm. don't have the motivation to tune into a, a, a soulless game that's like a training game even if you have that piped in the piped in crowds um, I think that's um, I think that's difficult and and also uh, in in true James O'Brien fashion. Uh, I'm, I, I have to admit that I was a big, big fan of VAR before it before it came in, and I am not anymore. I think it's robbing the joy out of the game, um, and I was, I was, I was wrong. And I think now we're bending the rules to suit VAR as opposed to the setting it up for what it needs in the next fifteen twenty years, which is more excitement rather than less. And that's what we're getting. We're getting less excitement because people are scared to celebrate goals because they think they're going to be chalked off. When that explosion of joy that we were talking about earlier on, so the game in, in Vienna, 
you mean that there was an explosion of joy in the heart supporters and the, and on the pitch for us. We wouldn't have done, we wouldn't have celebrated like that then, because we would always say you've got to give this. But if it's VAR, you know he is giving it. So that's robbing everybody that. And the argument, the counter argument that I always had before, yeah, but it's a fair result. Yeah, I know, but when's fairness been the barometer of professional sport? I mean, in terms of, of giving fans excitement, I think you're definitely one of the players, one of the players to do it more than most in, in certainly the, the most recent, what, 20, 30 years for, for Hearts fans. Six years, 85 to 91, and then 93 to 97. As I mentioned, over 400 appearances, over 80 goals. And if, if you want to feel about how much football has changed, you're also a player who's managed to score against Atletico Madrid in Europe for Hearts in 93. Atletico Madrid, who are, of course, the league leaders in La Liga. You almost put Bayern Munich out of Europe with Hearts, and you even once scored a double against the best side in England, Manchester City, in a 5-1 Hearts win back in 1995. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't imagine those types of scenarios happening in the in the modern era. Let me tell you, somebody mentioned that game and I can't remember playing in it. <laughs> I genuinely can't remember. I can't remember it. watching it. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's because you'd be drunk. But it was pre-season. I should have remembered that. <laughs> oh no, wait a minute! I can't remember what I can't remember. Um, it was the Man City game recently that I couldn't remember. I remember the five-one game. Yeah, <laughs> you have an excuse for not remembering the recent one because you were in the states. But anyway, John, it's, it's been an absolute—it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And as I mentioned, you know, although you were just before my time following Hearts, you know, your name kind of lives on around Tynecastle as one of the the legends, and I think deservedly so. You know, you just have to see clips of you and the way you played, and obviously the the stats laid out in front of you as well to realise that there's obviously justification for that. So really appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you very much. I, I don't know what the the future holds for you. Have you got any plans for the rest of 2021? Hopefully be able to maybe get to a football game or two at some point. My first priority is to get a jag with a vaccine in it. And that's, yes. happening, next, that's happening next Monday. Oh, excellent. So, so, so yeah, so, so I'll, I'll be there at 3.20 and Huntington getting with my sleeve rolled. I might even wear, I might even wear my vest top. John, you can't say right, that. If, right, if you've just told the right. time and everyone knows your name, if someone really wants the vaccine, you might get another John Cahoon. <laughs> Frighten everybody to death so I can get straight in the right house so the next person get get in and get done. And then, yeah, get to some games um, later in the year, get some gigs and get to some restaurants and, and, and just um, just feel the human heat again. I, I miss the, the human interaction that's a part of what makes us what we are, and I, and, I, and I desperately miss it, and I can't wait for it to um, to hopefully come round again this year and, and visit visit um, my my second favourite country in the world, which is the United States. I'll be um, with 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 um, with all gun all all winds being fair. Hopefully, I'll be there um, at the end of the year. I'll put the kettle on for you, John. And um, we don't we don't yeah. normally do this. And I know I, I would like to have spoken a bit more about um, about music, but we don't normally do this. But we play a song at the end of of, of every uh, every episode. And Laurie is usually pretty smart when it comes to the the connotation between the song and the topic. So why don't you choose a song that can play us out for this episode? 
Ooh, you want me to choose it? Or Laurie? Sure. No, you. You. Laurie chooses it. He's chosen 124 of them, or 125 <laughs> of them. I think you can choose one. It can be as random as you like, as eclectic as you like, because I know your musical taste is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but I'll, I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with one of our favourites. Huh? I'm going to go, go with one of our favourites. So I'm going to go with um, Heads Roll Off by Frightened Rabbit. I was tempted to go with Los Angeles Be Kind um, by Owl John. In fact, yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with Los Angeles by Owl John. Okay. Do you know who that? Do you know who that is? Nope. But I'll find right, it. You'll be in, <laughs> you'll, you'll, Laurie, you will be in for a very, very pleasant surprise. It's a beautiful record. I, I will trust you, and I will find it, and we can play that out before we we finish the show. But it's been an absolute pleasure, John. Um, Good given, guys. Given, given that you'll be in the States at some point before the end of the year, you might well be able to enjoy a beer with both Mark and myself because I think you're in East Lothian like me, are you not? I am in East Lothian yes. in, in the be- beautiful coastal town of North Berwick. Indeed. I, I'm I'm not in the not quite as beautiful, but the coastal town of Mossobra, just along the road. Yeah, lovely. So, um, lovely. So you can meet me along here when lockdown's ended and then you can pop over at the States. Mark's got the kettle on. Yeah, but but let me tell you, if I'm going to stay at the end of the year, it won't be Connecticut. It'll be somewhere nice and warm. You know, I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not going from six degrees in Scotland to six degrees in Connecticut. You know what I mean? I'm going depends when it, you I'm come over. Son. It depends. When, hey, it depends when you're over. If you're over in the summer, you'll be moaning that it's too hot. I'm never moaning it's too hot. I go to the desert and it's 95 degrees, and I'm, I'm and I've got my my sweater on. Hey, this is a man that won a he won a Scotland cap, did you not? Against Saudi Arabia, two. playing for Hearts. He won two Scotland so, uh, caps. Do, yeah, I'm not sure. One 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 of them is, is the correct term. Kevin. Yeah, but, but yeah, we um, yeah <laughs> Saudi Arabia and then um, Riyadh and um, uh, and then Malta and and uh, and Valletta. Um, my my Scotland career lasted as long as an omnibus edition of. Um, EastEnders used to be on a Sunday. <laughs> hey, we, the three of us have got two caps between us, so that's quite Correct. an achievement. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys. sir. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. Pipe smoke and the smut won't wash from this unsuitable immigrant skin. Such a villainous grace. Oh, I don't know what you've done to your face. Some nights I can't figure out quite where your heart is.